Well, good morning. <clears throat> hey, I, I tell the worship team, man, I, sometimes I don't like that they do so good because it's hard to match that. So I'm going to try my best. Can we give the worship team a round of applause, though? <laughs> awesome. <clears throat> hey, it's good to be here with you. My name is Nathan, like Julie said, and we're going to start a brand new series. But let me start this way. I, I, I get to talk to a lot of people in my job. I love talking. And so I get to talk with a lot of people. And what I've realized is everybody's different and some are like really different and like not always good different, but they're different. And so we got a lot of differences. I've heard some crazy stories in the last 12 years of ministry. Some that you, some that you wouldn't believe. Some they're like, man, are you sure that happened? Like, I think I saw that in Star Wars. Like, are you sure that happened? But like all these crazy stories. But what I found is though we're all different and we have come from different walks of life and different things going on. But I found this and working with all ages is that buried deep within our souls every single person is a desire to live a life of significance right we, w- we want to live a life that matters that has an impact and for everybody th- that looks different and, and so you have your own idea what that looks like where you're like man I want to live a life that mattered uh, I want to live a life that left a, a legacy you hear that word a lot or I want to have a good reputation I want to do something rather than just go through the motions we have this deep desire within us like one poet said like hey at the end of the day no one wants on their tombstone hey they made their car payments right like that's a big deal but no one wants that or mine like one day when someone comes to my gravesite and like a long time from now they pull back the weeds and wipe off the moss I don't want it to say hey he was all right like he was okay like I don't want that right but what I fear what I found is that though most people want to live a life of significance most people don't feel like they're actually making it Hey, if you look at statistics, people aren't happy. People are like, hey, I'm in the wrong job. I don't feel like I'm going anywhere. I don't feel like I'm making a difference. I, don't feel, I feel like I'm just going through the emotions. I, we, we, we look around, we're like, hey, I, I don't know what's going on. Like, but, but this is, there's got to be more. Like, there's got to be more than this. But most of us, we, we don't step into that more. We, we never get past that surface level. We want it, but we don't know how to always get it. We're like, we, get, we just got this sense, like, maybe, just maybe, I was created for a purpose, on purpose. That's what I want to start this series with. Like everybody in this room who's listening right now or online, and if you're online, can we give our online audience a round of applause? What's up, right? We, we don't do that much anymore, but it's good to see you. Anybody listening, we have a purpose. If you have a pulse that said you have a purpose, that you have value, and that God wants to do something in your story, more than you can imagine, and that our life can have significance, that God wants to do something of significance in your life, and that God wants to use you. And so I used to hear that all the time, and I believe it's so true. And then I got to ask this question, who does God use? Have you ever thought that, like, what type of people does God use? Like, who makes the cut? Like, like do, do I have to look a certain way? Do I have to act a certain way? Like, do I have to bench press a certain number? Like, do I have to have a certain number in my bank account? Do I, do I got to cheer for a certain, certain team? Right? Do, do, I have to, do I have to have this certain skill set? Like, who does God use? And today I want to tell you exactly who he uses. There's this little verse. It's an itty, itty, bitty verse in a book called Second Chronicles that most people skip right over. But in Second Chronicles, it tells us exactly who God uses. It says, the eyes of the Lord, just listen to it. It says, the eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those, in order to use those who what? Whose hearts? Everybody say hearts. Hearts are fully committed to him 
the people that God uses, the people that God wants to work through are people whose hearts are fully committed to him, whose hearts can be fully committed to anybody that desires to pursue a relationship with Jesus. Like their hearts are fully committed to him. So there's this idea that God is searching. He's searching this church. He's searching this town. He's searching this world. And he's looking for people, not with the best last names, not the best looking, not the best bank account, but those whose heart are really committed to him, that are fully committed to him and he will strengthen them. That's the promise that he will use those whose hearts are fully committed to him. And so this series, Kingdom Builders, is a series that's for anyone who says, you know what? My life has to have something more. That I have this divine calling in my life. I feel it. I just don't know how to express it, but I feel like there's got to be more. That those of us who are saying, that God, I want you to use me, and I, I'm ready for you to use me, but I don't know what it looks like. So that's what Kingdom Builders is going to be about. Everybody say Kingdom Builders. Kingdom, kingdom Builders. Right? That's what we're going to look at. And we're going to do it by looking at a, an ancient book in the Old Testament called Nehemiah. And this book of Nehemiah is going to be this amazing book. We're going to journey through it. We're going to spend about six weeks in this book. We'll skip some of it, but we're going to look at this idea of Nehemiah. Nehemiah was an ordinary guy, and we'll talk more about him in a second, but one day he, he, he hears about something. He has this need that like, I have to live for something more. That God's calling me to something more than I'm, I'm doing right now. And he sees this need. And he just sees it. And sometimes that's where it starts. It's, it starts with us realizing there's a need. There's something that needs to be done. And he sees this need. And he says, somebody has to do something. It might as well be me. It might as well be me. Somebody's got to do it. This job has to get done. Why not me? Because my heart's fully committed to God. I'm ready to do something about it. So that's what we're going to look at in the book of Nehemiah. Let me give you some historical context to make this book understand, make you able to understand this. Because sometimes when we're reading, we've got to understand the context. The book of Nehemiah circles around God's people, the Israelites. And the Israelites were God's chosen people. Way back in the beginning, God says, hey, these are my people. You're going to be my tribe. And you're going to be the light of the world. You're going to show the world who I am and, and what I've done. And you're going to follow me and obey me. And I'm going to lead you and I'm going to guide you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to look over you. You are going to be set apart, just like you and I are set apart. We're, we're to look different than the rest of the world. Israelites, my people, you're to look different than everybody else. But the only problem is they don't look different. They start to look like everybody else around them. God says, do this and they don't do it. God says, don't do this, and that's what they keep doing, and they get in this vicious cycle of chaos. Well, eventually God, this nation, God's people kind of breaks up in tribes, and they split the kingdom, and then there's a city called Jerusalem that's left. Well, then the, the Israelites are living there, but they're not listening to God, and when you don't listen to God, when there's sin in our lives, there's consequences, and all of a sudden, this powerful nation called Babylon comes along, and they got a weird king with a name called Nebuchadnezzar, right, and King Nebuchadnezzar takes the Israelites, and he brings them into exile, he tears down the temple, he tears down the wall, he basically wipes Jerusalem off the face of the earth, and he brings all God's people into Jerusalem, I mean, into Babylon, now he's, they're living with King Nebuchadnezzar, and you get the book of Daniel, and you read of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, all these things are happening, but in the middle of this brokenness, God's desire stays the same. God's desire is for his people and to be in right relationship with them. And that's God's desire for all of us, that we're in right relationship with him. And, and so he's working. Though it's broken and things aren't going the way they want, the God is working in the rubbles. God is working in the mess. God is working in the chaos. And then we start to see things that happen. Eventually, the Babylonians are taken over by the Persians. 
and God's working on the Persian king's heart and all of a sudden the Persian king starts to send some Israelites back into this city called Jerusalem and then I kind of got this illustration here the first thing that happens is a man named Zerubbabel he leads some people and they start rebuilding the temple and the temple was a place where they would go worship and up here you have the different kings and all this is going on in the timeline around the same time and then there was a man named Ezra and Ezra and Nehemiah originally were two books together their stories were together but we split it over time and, and so Ezra goes back in and he starts teaching them God's law and command and so the temple is being built and the laws are being kind of given so they're trying to get back in relation with God and then all of a sudden there's a man named Nehemiah and Nehemiah comes back and he's going to rebuild a wall around the city so all this is going on and that's the context of what's going on in Nehemiah there's brokenness, there's chaos, there's destruction but there's also hope, there's redemption and something beautiful is about to happen that's what's going on so here's Nehemiah, Nehemiah this dude he's over here and Nehemiah was an ordinary man that's why I love him, he wasn't a priest, he wasn't a prophet he wasn't a warrior, he wasn't a king you know what he was? An ordinary dude with a weird job. Anybody an ordinary dude with a weird job in here? Right? We can relate to Nehemiah. He was a cupbearer. His job was essentially to protect the king, but not by fighting. What he would do is people would try to assassinate kings at this time. And one of the easiest ways to assassinate a king was to poison them, right? And so they would poison their food. So Nehemiah would work with the king and he would come into this great you know, banquet hall and all this food would be here. And then he would start eating it before anybody else. He would try the king's food. So that all the good food Nehemiah got to eat. He'd eat the food, he drank the wine, and it was pretty good unless what happens? Unless someone poisons the king, and then Nehemiah dies. That's his job. So he's living the Gucci life except there's a, a small chance of death, right? But, he, but he's an ordinary man, but he has integrity, he's trusted. That's who Nehemiah is. Just an ordinary dude. And what I love about the book of Nehemiah is in the book of Nehemiah, you're not going to read of any major miracle. There's going to be no Red Sea parting. No one's going to be healed. No one's going to be, you know, no de demons are going to be casted out. Nothing crazy is going to happen, but there is a miracle. And the miracle is this, and I think we need to hear it. It's God's people, because Nehemiah is going to get a group of people, the, the, God's people, in one heart, uniting with one focus it's all we're all together unity here one focus and one shared dream to build a wall accomplishing something extraordinary and I, I like this and why I picked this series because I believe God is calling us with one focus one shared dream to unite to do something extraordinary to do something that alone that we couldn't do alone but together we can accomplish so that's the backdrop of Nehemiah and so Nehemiah we're going to go to Nehemiah chapter 1 if you got your Bibles you can flip there if you're kind of new to all this we'll have it on the screen now I will say there are names in here that I'm going to mess up and if you want to make fun of me I will gladly let you come preach next week so here we go alright so here it is the words of Nehemiah son of Hekeliah he in the month of Kislev in the 20th year so he's giving the backdrop of what's going on while I so Nehemiah was in Sidiel of Susa Hananiah one of my brothers came from Judah with some other men so his brothers are traveling and I questioned them about their, their travels basically the Jewish remnant that had survived so kind of religious things and, and, and the exile and I also asked them about Jerusalem I asked them about the city of Jerusalem and they said to me those who survived the exiles and are back in the providence because remember they've been sent back are in great trouble and disgrace why because the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire 
So Nehemiah's brother comes along and Nehemiah goes, my man, bro, like what's going on in Jerusalem? Like what's going on? And he's like, hey, it's, it's not good, dude. He's like, those who have even survived the exile, they're back there and they're trying to do some things, but they're not thriving. It's bad and they're, they're disgraced. They're in disgrace because the city's broken down. They're in trouble because the walls are down. And the idea of the walls being down doesn't always connect with you and I because we don't build walls around our cities. But in this time, you would build walls around your kingdom because the wall was protection. And so if your walls are down around your city, like you're in danger because anytime you build something, somebody can easily just come in and knock it down. He's like, bro, it's bad. It's disgraceful. It's grim. It is not good. So Nehemiah gets this news. That's the first thing we read. And then in verse four, it says, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. Everybody say wept. Wept. For some days, and some scholars say, in other translations says, for 40 days, I, I mourned and I fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. Nehemiah gets this news and he's heartbroken. It literally brings him to tears of mourning. And what we see is he gets something called a divine burden. What I mean by this, something that God put on his heart, broke his heart, and he felt like I have to do something about this. That this is my significance. This is my purpose. He hears about the wall. This is the burden that God's given me. I have to do something about this. I don't know what, I don't know when, but I have to do something about this. And I think so many times when we lose our passion, we lose that little spark, when we feel like we're going through the motions, it's because you and I forget we have a divine burden. Divine burden. Right? Like it's, it's these things that break our hearts. It could be you see something, like, I got to do something, right? Like, uh, you, got, you see, like, hey, I, I can't just sit here and do nothing. We, we got to have a divine burden. But so many times, here's what happens. We don't. Like, we're, we're so overwhelmed with everything. Like, we're here, but we're, we're not mentally here, spiritually here, mentally. Like, we're just, like, we're here. And we hear something really bad happens. We're like, man, that stinks for them. Somebody should do something about it. But I'm not going to, right? Like, we, we don't allow our, our, our hearts to, to be burdened. And I don't think we're called to live that way. I, I don't think we're supposed to live that way. But I think so many times we can get in this rut where we're not living with this divine burden. It kind of remind, reminds me of, of someone back in Rising Sun, an older gentleman who was in his 70s. And he was retired. He's a, he's a retired sheriff. And he, he was one of those guys who's he's in his 70s, but you look at him like, man, I, are you sure you're not lying? Like, you look like you're like 50 at the oldest. He was in really good shape. And so he retired, and then he started a new job. I'm like, bro, you are crazy. Like, you retire. Like, when you retire, go to the beach and sit, sit pina coladas or something, man. Like, why are you working so much? He started another job where he would just go around fixing people's stuff, like my kind of stuff. I can't fix nothing. He's like, he would come over and he'd fix it. He worked 50, 60, or even 70 hours a week, working more than he did before. And I'm like, dude, I, I, I don't, I don't think you understand what retirement is, right? Like, I think you got it backwards. You're not supposed to work more. And I was like, why do you do this? And he said this. You have to have a reason to wake up. I was like, dude, that's a sermon right there. Like, hey, good job. Like, you're preaching next week, right? You, you have to have a reason to wake up. And he said, the reason, the day you stop having a reason to wake up is the day you start dying. He's like, we have to have a reason 
to wake up. We got to remember that we're here for a reason, for a purpose, and that we, God wants to do something in our lives. It's not just to go through the motions. It's not just to be on, on that scroll of social media and TikTok. And, you know, it's, it's to live with passion and purpose. Now, I, I want to tell you this, no matter where you are today, I, I don't care if you're on the back nine, as they say, I, I'll let you judge that for yourself, or if you're on the front nine, I feel like I'm still on the front nine, like, I'm only on hole two, baby, like, I, I still got a lot to go, right? Whitney's shaking her head, but I feel good still, right? I want you to hear this, this, this is so important, because I, I think somebody needs to hear this, in every season of your life, you have a reason, and if there's a season, you have a reason, in every season of your life, you have a reason. And it may be different in every season, but right now, right here, you have a reason and you have a purpose and God wants to do something in your life. And Nehemiah realizes that he, he gets this news. He's like, I have a reason. My brother brought this to me and I hear this and it's moving me so much because I have a reason in this season as a cupbearer. But it's not to be a cupbearer. It's, it's to be a kingdom builder. It's to be something more than I am right now. And so we want to look at him and say, how do I become this kingdom builder? And so what I want to look at is you kind of break down chapter one. And the first thing it starts with is allow something to break your heart. Now, I know you're thinking, hey, man, I don't let nothing break my heart, right? Like, you know, you, you, you've had your heart broken so many times, like you're a country song by now, right? Like, like I, I don't let nothing break my heart. And I'm going to tell you, listen, Taylor Swift makes billions of dollars with a broken heart, okay? Broken hearts can do something, right? But allow something to break your heart. And I think we, we just got to look around and allow something to break your heart. And, and maybe it's something that doesn't sit right with you. Maybe it's something like, uh, th that's not the way it should be. Maybe it's like, I, I can't stomach this. Why do you think the movie Sound of Freedom made so much money? Why it went through the nation, why it took the nation by storm? It's because people watch it like, that's, that's happening in our home? That breaks my heart. I got to do something about it. Like, I don't know what to do. But it doesn't sit right. Allow your heart to be broken, right? You can have a, a rough exterior, but have a soft heart and allow God to work and move in your heart. Because you can hear about a problem and hope somebody does something about that. Or you can let it break your heart and be that someone. So I think we gotta stop and ask, what breaks my heart? What breaks my heart? Because I, I believe when you start answering that question, you're one step closer to your purpose. Because what breaks your heart may be different. We, we, all our hearts break for the same things. But there are specific things that God's placed on my heart and placed on your heart that's different, that breaks my heart, that wouldn't break your heart. At 16 years old, my mom was crazy, and she decided, when I was 16 years old, my mom was crazy and decided to have another kid. I'm like, Mom, do you not see our family? Like, we are messed up already. Like, let's not add another one to this, right? And, and so she had another kid, and they did all the testing, and, and it was all good, and it was going to be a perfect little, healthy little boy, and he was born. And right away, we kind of noticed, like, hey, this, something's off here, and we found out real quick that Jace was born with Down syndrome. My youngest brother, Jace, has Down syndrome. He's 16 now. But I remember when I was 16, his age, the guy, when I held him in my hands and I looked at him, I remember that God put a burden on my heart. And that burden started with a little phrase, you matter. Nathan, you, your job in life is to teach everybody, no matter what they look like, where they're from, what, what they're going through, that they have value, honor, and dignity in God's eyes. And also put another burden on my heart. I, I love the underdog. I, I, I don't let anybody look down on Jace. Like, we treat Jace exactly the same. He's a punk. He's 16-year-old punk, right? Like, and we treat him just the same. 
But Nathan, you gotta look out for people like that because not everybody does. And we've seen people treat him differently just because the way he looks. Another burden that God placed in my heart when I got a little older is like, hey, Nathan, you know how someone reached you with the message of Jesus? And you're from a family that didn't believe in Jesus and you didn't know Jesus. Like, that's what I want you to do. Those are burdens that God has placed on my heart. And there's burdens that God has placed on your heart. And that is your purpose. And God's saying, I want you to be the someone who does something about it. I, I love this quote. It says, you'll hear or see something that gets your attention. And something will bother you about the way things are or the way things are headed. Anybody ever look around and say, man, I, I'm bothered by the way things are headed, or by, the way things, by the way things are? And unlike many passing concerns, this will stick with you. And you'll find yourself thinking about it when you, when, in your free time. And you may lose sleep over it. You won't be able to let it go because it won't let you go. That's a divine burden that God has placed on your heart. And maybe you're here like, man, I, I've never even heard that. I've never even thought about it that way. And you're like, I don't even know where to start. Like, Nathan, where do I start? And a great place to start is to care about what God cares about. Because our hearts, it says in Second Chronicles, are to be fully His. And there's something that happens when your heart becomes fully His. You start to, to draw closer to Him. You start to walk towards Him. There's not perfection, but there's progression. And progression towards, towards God. And the closer we get to God, the more we care about what He cares about. The closer you get to Him, all of a sudden you're going to start caring about what He cares about. The more you're going to care about lost people. The more you're going to care about people who are forgotten. The more you're going to care about injustices. You're going to care about what he cares about. It's kind of like this. Remember, if you're married, remember when you started dating, right? And you had that person that like, and you spent all these hours together and time together. Like, that's what happened with Whitney and I. We started dating in college. And Whitney was really good at this, probably better than I was. But we are complete opposites, right? She can sing. I can't sing at all, right? And she, I love to talk. She doesn't necessarily love to talk. And she's smart. I think I'm smart too, but she's just way smarter, right? Like, she, we're just opposites in everything. And one thing is sports. But she realized really quickly, like, dude, Nathan loves him some sports. And we started dating during, during the time of the Miami Heatles, right? When LeBron was on the Heat, you guys knew I got to bring him up, right? And, like, I wanted to watch every game. It was the most exciting time as a fan I've ever been in. And she realized real quick, like, if I'm going to hang out with him, we're going to watch some Heat. And I was like, yes, you are, baby girl. We're going to watch a lot of Miami Heat. And then we're going to watch football, and we're going to do it all again every year for the rest of our marriage, right? And so she would sit there, and that poor girl, she would sit there in the lobby with me and everybody would hate me at college because I was hogging the TV but she would she would liked it you know what happened she started watching some Miami Heat games she started to find a favorite player it wasn't LeBron but it was Dwayne Wade I could live with it right I could live with it and then all of a sudden she started to come she come out of a dorm room one day she's wearing a Miami Heat t-shirt I'm like yes this is who I'm gonna marry right because she she loved me and the more she drew closer to me the more she wanted to care about what I care about now she's like dude I got you I'm not watching that stuff anymore right she tricked me right <laughs> But the closer you draw, go, go to God, the more you're going to care about what he cares about. And do you know what God cares about? God cares about the brokenness in your life, the broken things in your life, but he cares about the broken things in the world. So he's like, I, I want to work in the brokenness in your life, and then I want you to go work in the brokenness of the world. He cares about the brokenness. And what's amazing about Nehemiah, why I love his story, is he's not the only one who heard the brokenness. His brother brought him the message. There's people in Jerusalem who have seen the wall and they do nothing. Why? Are they comfortable? Are they complacent? Do they not know what to do? I think it's a little bit of all of it. And I think about this. As we look around in our world, are we too comfortable with the brokenness? Because brokenness is all around us. 
right? You, and what's, we live in this weird time with social media. Like I literally can see about the wildfire and then I can scroll down a little bit and I can see about your dog, right? So it's like, hey, tragedy, scroll down a little bit. Oh, they're on vacation? Like they took six people to Disney? Are they millionaires? Like what is going on here? Like what's going on? Like, and then scroll through it. Oh, brokenness again. Oh, awesome. Okay, hey, the black dog has this coffee. Okay, scroll through it. Like brokenness, scroll, scroll, brokenness, right? You get so used to it and we get so used to the brokenness we start to not see what God wants us to see. And the reality is that everybody who follows God's hearts allow them to see what God wants us to see. And so what we gotta make sure is that are, are we looking for what God wants you to see? Are you looking for what God wants you to see? Because two people can look at one situation and see it drastically different. Don't believe me? I'm not political. Just turn on political news. Like, what are they looking at? Like, they look at different things sometimes, right? Or if you're married, again, like, you know, you got your spouse and one of you have this version like, hey, this is what a clean room looks like. And then the other person is over here and this is what a clean room looks like. And like, it doesn't look the same. Or at our house, like I think I can throw dirty clothes on the bedroom because when I open the door, it's just like, it's a hamper, right? As soon as I open the door, it's a hamper. Whitney's like, no, no, no. We bought this at Ikea. You gotta put your clothes in here. And not only do you have to put your clothes in here, you gotta color code them. Like, whoa, you're asking for way too much, right? Throughout college, they just washed them all together on cold, right? Like, so it's like, you just see different things. And so you gotta see what God wants you to see. So Nehemiah sees what God wants him to see. And this is what happened. It says, for some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And I wish we could break down all this, but we're gonna look at one thing that he does. And this is a skip, the, uh, the step that I believe is so skipped. I, see we, I believe we see the brokenness. I, I believe at times our heart is broken. And I believe sometimes we wanna take action, but there's a step in the middle that we often skip and it's neglected, but it's necessary. And what Nehemiah is about to do, if we read from this, is he prays before he plans. Sometimes we need to pray before we plan. And that's really hard because a lot of us, if you're like me, like I see a task and I wanna do it. I see a problem, I wanna fix it. Like ice, ice baby, right? Like, you know, see a problem, I'll solve it, right? Like, I wanna fix it. And you're like, I gotta fix it by myself. I, I, I gotta handle this myself. But before Nehemiah does one single step, before he takes one action, you know what he does? Before he takes a single brick, he stops, he mourns, he fasts, and he prays. You know why? Because prayer changes us. And the greatest thing that we think, or the greatest mistake we make with prayer is we think, God, let your will align with me. What prayer does is it allows our hearts, it all goes back to Second Chronicles, it allows our hearts to align with what God wants us to do. It allows our hearts to align with God's heart. And God wants to work to those whose hearts are aligned with his will and are fully committed to him. Prayer allows us to say, hey, this situation, this brokenness in the world, this brokenness in my life, God, I can't do it on my own and I need you. I need you to work because if you don't work, I'm gonna end up in the same rubble, same brokenness I was in before. So Nehemiah, before he does anything, he prays. And he teaches us this very uncomfortable spiritual discipline of hurry up and wait. Anybody love to wait? 
Anybody like, hate waiting? Anybody hate, I hate it. There's somebody that told me once, like, hey, as you get older, you'll like waiting more. It's like, bro, you don't know me. I hate waiting. I can't stand to wait for nothing, right? I hate waiting at the BMV. I hate waiting in, in a line. Like, I really hate when you put an online order in and like, you're like, I'm gonna pick it up at 12.15. You get there at 12.15. They're like, yeah, let us cook that real fast. Like, bro, I, let, I put it in for 12.15, so you cooked it before I got here. Like, I'm not, I hate waiting. But Nehemiah, he has to wait. He's gonna hurry up and see the need. He's like, he's gonna pray, then he's gonna wait. Because what waiting does is it allows us to trust God's plan. And here's the hard thing about waiting. I'll give it to you straight. It stinks, but not everybody has to wait for the same amount of time. Sometimes you pray and God works in one hour. It's like, wow, God, that's amazing. And sometimes it's one week. Sometimes it's one day. Sometimes you don't get the, the answer in your lifetime. But the waiting isn't wasted. That's a hard pill to swallow. But God works in the wait. In the wait. Because in the wait, he's preparing you. He's preparing the situation. He's working behind the scenes. Waiting isn't wasted. David was anointed to be the future king as a young man. He has to wait years before he ever becomes king of Israel. Moses... Man, Moses kills an Egyptian and flees in the wilderness and hangs out for 40 years. I don't even know what it's like to wait for 40 years because I'm not even 40. It's like, that's a long time, bro. Like, that's a long time. Nehemiah, it's, it's believed that he waited around four months before he gets back, before he goes to Jerusalem. And then he builds the wall with a group of people in 52 days. Like, we, we, we have construction in Indianapolis that lasts 52 years, y'all. Like, 52 days, they built a wall. I'm not a mathematician or math whiz, but I think if he prayed and fasted all this time and he waited, he waited at least a double amount of time compared to the days that he worked. Waiting allows us to trust God's plan. And in that waiting, as we continue to go to God, say, God, I want you to work. God, I need you to work. God, break my heart, open my eyes. And what we see in Nehemiah he teaches how to do this. Because some of us are like, hey, that's really good. I, I want to pray like that, but I don't know how. What Nehemiah does in his prayer, we're going to break it down verse by verse in just a second. He shows us a method called the Acts method. Everybody say Acts. Acts. Like, hey, that's a small word. It's A-C-T-S. And each letter stands for something. And the first one is adoration. In verse 5, it says, Lord, the God of heaven. This is Nehemiah's prayer. Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome. Everybody say Awesome awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his command, co commands. Yeah. He says, God, you are amazing. It's adoration. He's showing God appreciation. It's the awe. He's like, God, you are awesome. It's not like surfer dude, California awesome. It's like, no, like you're really awesome. It's so awesome. You take my breath away. Like I can't even put into words how big and how awesome you are. God, you're bigger than my problems. You're bigger than the struggles. You're bigger than everything else in my life. And so what he's doing right here in verse 5 is he's magnifying God. He's putting God in his proper spot and standing in awe of him. And he's magnifying God. And you know what happens when you start to magnify God? When you realize how big God actually is? All of a sudden you realize like th this problem, this brokenness, man, it's not that big. Because God is bigger than all of it. So there's adoration. Then we get to the sea, and the sea is confession. In verse 6 through 7, it says, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself, so he's owning it, and my father's family have committed against you. 
We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servants Moses. It's confessions. It's like, you know, Usher, he's like, these are my confessions, right? You know that song, right? He's like, these are my confessions, okay? He's like, these are the things I've, got, I've done wrong. Like, so we should understand confession. And you want to know the easiest way to fix a relationship? Be the first one to apologize. I know it's hard. And my wife was first service. She was shaking her head. She's like, yeah, Nathan, you need to preach that, right? Like, because it's hard. But he's like, hey, here's my confessions. Here's where I've fallen short. God, I'm owning it. Because when you own it, you can fix it. But if you don't own it, you're never going to get through it. God, I'm owning it, and I need you to work in it. So there's confession. And then there's thankfulness. Thankfulness. He says, they are your servants and your people whom you redeem by your great strength and your mighty hand. So he's thankful because he's remembering what they've done. God, hey, I remember how you worked in the past. I remember how you're going to work again. Sometimes in your life, when you look around and you see the brokenness, you see the pain, you see the chaos, you see the struggle, sometimes the best thing to do is stop, pause, and just remember how God has come back come through in your life in the past and be thankful for the ways he's worked God I, God, I remember when you weren't gonna when we didn't know how to pay our bills but you came through God I, I remember when we didn't know if we were ever gonna have a kid but you came through God I remember when, when I, I had that kid and they were in their teen years and I didn't know what to do but you came through sometimes you're stopping being thankful so he's being thankful so he's confessed He's had adoration. And then there's this fancy word called supplication. And it says, verse 11, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this servant and to the prayer of the servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. He's about to go before the king. And, and so what supplication is, is, is this idea of going to God and asking God to take action. He's like, I'm gonna go before the king. I'm gonna wanna take action to fix this wall. Supplication is this big, bold prayer. And Nehemiah says, God, I'm praying this big, bold prayer that you come through, that you take action. Not only do you take action, but you use me to be the one who takes action. So God, help us get favor in the king so we can go back and do something. And sometimes we just need to pray big prayers. God, hey, God, we're praying that we take back this city. God, hey, we're, we're praying that you take back our this generation. God, we're praying boldly that you do something in us and through us. God, what we're praying is that you use us to become kingdom builders, that we're building your kingdom here on earth. God, we're praying boldly. We know we can't do it alone, but we're gonna do it through you. That's what supplication is. So this is how Nehemiah prays, and we're gonna see what this prayer unleashes, because prayer unleashes God's work in our life, and he works in ways we can never imagine. Nehemiah was about 600 to 800 miles away when he heard the news of a broken wall. That's somewhere between... From us, it's about the distance or further than New York City. But he had a vision. He had a divine burden. And he said, somebody's got to do something. It might as well be me. His heart broke. He goes to God. says, God, let me be that someone. And God's going to work. And in the same way that God worked in Nehemiah's life, he can work in our life. Because we have divine burden. We have a calling and Jesus has given us a passion and a vision to live with. In Matthew 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is talking to his followers. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds. Good deeds, because your hearts are fully mine, are fully mine and when your hearts are fully mine, you will live the way I want you to live. Your good deeds, and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus says, 
the burden I've put on all your hearts. There's many separate burdens, but the big burden that everyone carries is to be the light. To be the light in your classrooms. To be the light in your towns. be the light in your community. And maybe you realize all of a sudden that maybe I'm in the classroom. Maybe I'm in the job. Maybe I'm in the season that I'm in right now for a time such as this in 2023. To be, be the light in this world. To be the light in this community. And I know you can look around and you can say, man, things are bad and things are doomed and things are awful and things are so dark. But the, the hope is this, that the darker the world, the brighter the light can shine. And just like how Nehemiah got the opportunity to go back and build a wall in 52 days, God has given us opportunity to build his kingdom here on earth. That's what God wants, to build his kingdom here on earth. And what's amazing is he chooses us, ordinary, broken, flawed people, to come together in one dream, one focus, and one vision, to be kingdom builders, to build his kingdom here. And together we can do something extraordinary. Allow God to break your heart. Don't ignore the burdens he placed on your heart and don't disqualify yourself if he's called you to it. So we're gonna pray and we're gonna sing to the only God who changes us, only God that can work through us. So go ahead and stand and I'm gonna pray. God, we're so thankful that we are called to be kingdom builders, to do something in your kingdom, bring the light in this world, into our lives, into our communities. God, so we're saying bring the light in our kids, in our parenting, in our schools, in our workplaces. But God, break our hearts and open our eyes and allow us to be the hands and feet to go and do something in this world to build your kingdom here. God, we're gonna praise you because that's all we know what to do. We can't always put into words how you wanna work in our lives, God. But we're gonna praise you because you're the only one who deserves our praise. It's your name we pray, amen.